This is Where There's Smoke. People are talking all about this app and this technology and this innovation, but somewhere along the lines, we forgot that nothing trumps caring about people. What do you want on your tombstone? Everybody's got to go sometime, and when it's your time, what do you want written on your tombstone? Hear what Brett would say and find out two simple rules that can change everything. And you are losing track of time, why pivotal forces are such a powerful concept in your life, how you can be one, and who are yours. It's all on Where There's Smoke right now. Welcome to Where There's Smoke, the show where we explore self-development through the lens of current events, sports, and pop culture. My name is Brett Gaida, and I am your host. Just a little over 13 years ago, Tim Sanders released a book called Love is the Killer App. At the time, Tim was the chief solutions officer for Yahoo and drove some of the company's largest global partnerships. I remember it was the tail end of the dot-com boom and everything was tech, 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 and everyone was focused on how we could do things better, faster, stronger with technology. And out comes Tim and he says, hey, you know what the greatest app we have is? Our ability to care. Imagine that, one of the top executives at a major global brand releasing a book about how to become what he called a love cat. A love cat being, quote, a nice, smart person who succeeds in business and in life. Now, this episode originated on a flight back from Europe about eight weeks ago. I was thinking about the passing of ESPN anchor Stuart Scott, who lost his fight with cancer on January 4th of this year. And of course, there were several moving tributes to Stuart that I had seen on TV and online, but what really got me was a podcast interview with ESPN producer Gus Ramsey. Suddenly I understood why Stuart's passing had hit me so hard and was really resonating with me. Because for all the impact that Stuart made in the broadcast industry, breaking color barriers, changing the way sports news is done, and for all the inspiration you could pull from his fight with cancer, his strength, his courage, I was, and am, inspired by how much I heard over and over and over by anyone who worked with him, met him, or knew him, that Stuart Scott was kind and he cared about people. As Gus put it in that podcast, I keep saying he was bombastically kind. I mean, he just couldn't help himself from just being super nice to everyone. And his kindness was not just in his demeanor and how he interacted. It was also in his actions. Because the other thing that so many people said was how he would go out of his way to help others, to support people. As he rose to prominence and fame, he never seemed to see himself above or below anyone. I heard this sentiment shared many times in many ways, here again by his ESPN colleague Gus. But, but that was classics too. Hey, here's a guy who needs a little help. Let me, let me offer a hand. People often ask the question, when you die, what would you want written on your tombstone? Which is really a question of either, how would you want to sum up your life? Or what message would you leave behind? On Wyatt Earp's tombstone, it reads, that nothing so sacred as honor and nothing so loyal as love. The epitaph on Robert Frost's grave, I had a lover's quarrel with the world. Dean Martin, everybody loves somebody sometime. And Will Rogers' tombstone reads, I never met a man I didn't like. The world also lost Joan Rivers in the past year, and she quite prophetically answered this question to a photographer 
just a month before she passed. How do you, what do you want in your tombstone, Joan? <laughs> she had a great time. All right, you did, so did I. Thank you. And Merv Griffin's tombstone has its tongue firmly planted in its cheek, reading, I will not be right back after this message. What would you want written on yours? After these messages, we'll be right back. Putting aside the fact that as of last week, when I die, I want to be put into an organic burial pod and turned into a tree. It's called Capsula Mundi, and it aims to replace coffins with egg-shaped burial pods. The deceased would serve as fertilizer while encased in a biodegradable coffin underground. If I had a tombstone, I would want mine to read, We're all in this together. And for me, this five-word phrase represents two simple rules, really, to life that can change everything. And both these rules are reflected in the life of Stuart Scott. And so with the posthumous release of Stuart's book, Every Day I Fight, happening today, I thought it would be a great opportunity to share this knowledge and honor another human being in the process, which, as you'll see, is part of our purpose. Rule number one, which coincidentally happens to be Dalton's rule number three, is... Be nice. Be nice. If you won't walk, walk him. But be nice. If you can't walk him, one of the others will help you, and you'll both be nice. <laughs> Roadhouse. This sounds simple, but being nice, especially being nice consistently, it's not always easy. And we live in a hard world, and life can feel awfully crappy sometimes, and when it does, projecting that negativity out happens pretty unconsciously. And we live in a fast world. And it's noisy, and it's crowded, and it's changing with every second. You know, in a recent conversation, author and traveler Pico Ayer stated that the biggest factor in us extending kindness to others is feeling that we have the time. And when we don't feel we have the time, we are careless and rushed and preoccupied in ourselves. If you feel you're not always as nice as you want to be, or lately you seem easily irritable, short, one place to look is your relationship with time. Sociologists have actually found that in recent years, Americans are working fewer hours than 50 years ago, but we feel as if we're working more. We have more and more time-saving devices, but sometimes it seems less and less time. We can more and more easily make contact with people on the furthest corners of the planet, but sometimes in that process, we lose contact with ourselves. And so whether it's through meditation or time management or a serious intervention of your current business or lifestyle, how can you create more space to open yourself and extend yourself out to others? Which leads us to the second rule, which is be there. Specifically, be there for others. Support people. You know, in 1972, Milton Mayeroff released a small, mighty book called On Caring. Psychology Today called it a philosophy of life in a nutshell. Being that Tim Sanders mentions the book in a 2002 Fast Company article and noting the common thread between them, I have to believe it was a big influence for him in writing Love is a Killer App. 
By Mayeroff's definition, caring cannot exist as a solitary act or momentary emotion. He outlines a kind of caring that can give order and meaning to our life. And before I expand on it, let me say that I have seen the ideas in this book integrated into everything from the mission of a company and its culture, to classrooms, to personal relationships. And it is transformative everywhere. Autobots, roll out. We roll. In the book, Mayeroff describes caring as a process in which we selflessly help an other to grow and actualize itself. And that other can be a person, an idea, or an ideal. And it is through caring for this other, through our service to them or it, that we become better, that we grow. You make me want to be a better man. Otherwise said, in caring for the other, you actualize yourself. For example, the writer grows in caring for her ideas. The teacher grows in caring for his student. The manager grows in caring for his team. The entrepreneur grows in caring for her business. The parent grows in caring for his child. The athlete or artist grows in caring for her abilities. Now for anything to grow effectively, it has to be in a fertile environment. And it's up to you to create that environment. If you just let a garden be and think it'll be fine, weeds grow. You have to maintain it. Meyerhoff says, I promote and safeguard conditions that make caring possible, and I exclude what is incompatible with my caring and its conditions, and I subordinate what is merely irrelevant. If you are going to commit to supporting others, you will also want to surround yourself with people who have a similar outlook on life. Because support cannot exist in a vacuum. It cannot exist one way. It is in its very nature a circular experience. One person asks and another offers. One person gives and another receives. This is particularly important if you are an active creator in this world, an entrepreneur, a builder, an artist, someone out there who doesn't just want to talk about things, you want to make them happen. In filmmaker Kevin Smith's Q&A special, Burn in Hell, he comments on this. Surround yourself with people that are going to help you do that. You know, because in this world, there's not a lot of support. There's a lot of negativity. There's a lot of cynicism. The world is full of why, man. You tell people something, they'll tell you why. Throw a rock and you'll hit somebody with why. Like, hey, man, I want to make a movie. Why? Why do you think you could do that? You go out and you find why not. You surround yourself with why not. People are just like, why not? Where you're like, hey, man, I'm going to try something. Like, all right, why not? Let's give it a shot. People who try to help you do your dreams, make your dreams come true. And shouldn't you do the same for them? We're all in this together. And it costs nothing. If you are not picking this up already, I am someone who is a big believer in supporting each other. I send out emails all the time asking for support, whether it's something I'm working on or a cause I want to further. And I have that thought of, you know, what are people going to think? But I just push through it. Because if we want to live in a world that looks a certain way, we've got to be that way to create it. And every once in a while, not very often, someone will email me back and say, please remove me from this list. And I write them back and I say, no problem. And I tell them, hey, FYI, there is no list because I handpick people for each of those group emails. I specifically select people that I think might be interested in that thing, that idea, or that cause. So what I used to do was email them back, you know, no problem, and I'd make a mental note to not include them in any future emails. But about eight months ago, I started doing something different. Now when I get one of those emails, I write them back, hey, no problem. You know, I explain it's not a list. 
and then I delete them from my address book. Because life is too hard and too short to surround myself with people that don't want to support me. I mean, it takes 20 seconds to click an email, to read some of it and delete it, and you think, eh, that's not right for me right now, but maybe I'll want to support the next thing. But by the time you take three minutes to email me back and ask me to remove you from the list, well, that pretty much tells me that you don't want to support me, period. Because it's not just about this thing, it's about anything. Now, to be clear, that their email to me doesn't mean they don't want to support other people. It just means they don't want to support me, which is just information. You know, it's nothing to have negative feelings about. You know, Mayeroff says it's, it's like being liberated as a result of accepting some truth I have long tried to avoid. I come to see the conditions of life as they are instead of as I wish them to be. The fact of the matter is, most people don't care about you. Most people don't care about me. And that's okay. It's inevitable. I mean, we can't care about everyone and everything. True care takes effort, investment, time. No one has the capacity to care about everyone and everything. And so this is about how you choose to care, where you choose to care, and the caring environment you choose to create around you. In his now well-renowned SB acceptance speech for the 2014 Jimmy V Perseverance Award, Stuart Scott spoke of support and said, So live, live, fight like hell. And when you get too tired to fight, then lay down and rest and let somebody else fight for you. That's also very, very important. I can't do this don't give up thing all by myself. This whole fight, this journey thing is not a solo venture. This is something that requires support. There is an African proverb, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. While many saw Stuart Scott's career trajectory as fast, I mean, he was a local sportscaster for only three years when he was hired by ESPN at the age of 28. I will suggest that he took his time. He took his time to be present with people and to be kind. He took his time to help others and support their journey. Most people don't take that time. For most people, time is a race they're running. And in that, kindness often gets thrown by the wayside, they don't ask for support, and they tell themselves that they're too busy to give it. But if you want to go far, if you want to be successful, happy, not just in a moment, but long term, then we need to do this together, all of us. You know, that's you and me, him and her, us and them. We're all in this together. So what is the result of this? A life of kindness with an intent to care and support. We are going to do something a little different in the second act of today's show. As opposed to a single interview, we'll be sharing some clips from a few conversations. We're going to look at how our lives get shaped and how our actions shape the lives of others. We'll see how sometimes the smallest act of kindness can create a ripple effect that impacts millions. And you'll walk away with a chance to do something really, really cool this week that someone might never forget.
after these messages. We'll be right back. Yeah. Hey, Brett. Hey, Nick. <laughs> so, you know how we usually have a plan and you write a script and then I spend a lot of time editing a show together? Uh, yes, yeah, slave over it, actually. Yeah, so this is not one of those times. No. But why are we here? Uh, we are here because we want to give a little inside information to our listeners mm. and also really ask for some help. Yes. So, if you don't know, we're, we're obviously, we're not with NPR. We're not, we don't have agents. We don't have a lot of advertising dollars all we really have right now is something called new and noteworthy on itunes (laughs) new and noteworthy is our agent yeah that's true and so there's only a limited amount of time you could you're considered to be new we don't know how much longer we have maybe five weeks maybe i don't even think we have that long it could be two or three weeks We, we truly don't know but it's the first thing you see when you open up itunes and here's what's crazy if you leave a review, we are like almost at the top of that list right away. Like it, it's crazy. It's one review. One review does amazing things. I mean, 10 reviews? Yes. iTunes might just knock on our door. And I may cry. <laughs> Which, <laughs> so All right, that's so, what we're asking for. So guys, seriously, really like truly, genuinely, we're getting so much great feedback from you. How much you love the show. We want to keep this show going. We want to make it a success. And, you know, listeners and spreading the word is so key. And new and noteworthy is like having a free advertisement, a free billboard on the Mm -hmm. highway. And you guys leave a review and it helps tremendously. So do it. Make me happy. Make me cry. (laughs) I don't know why Brett thinks that's so funny, (laughs) but that's it. Okay. So back to the show. And now. For as long as I can remember, I've been fascinated by the ripple effect that our lives have. I think it's a cool thing. You know, we roam around this planet for a little bit, and sometimes the simplest interactions can have a really big impact. I mean, each moment brings with it forces that can impact us and reshape our lives. Yesterday, my life was headed in one direction. Today, it is headed in another. Forces is an appropriate word because in physics, an object will remain going in the same direction it's going unless or until a force acts on it. And only a force can change that object's direction, speed, and trajectory. Our lives and our choices and the quantum trajectories are understood moment to moment. At each point of intersection, each encounter suggests a new potential direction. Sometimes these encounters are events, but most often they are people. And I've come to call these people pivotal forces, people that I distinctly know change the course of my life in a way that I perceive as positive today, which is not to say that I perceived it that way back then. Now, in a section that we did not air in episode one, here I am discussing this concept with Cortland Worth. And one of the things that I find really interesting about this is that we have some pivotal forces that are pretty prevalent in our life. Like, for example, one of the people that I would say is a a pivotal force in my life is my high school drama teacher, you know, Mm -hmm. and there's someone who, um, you know, believed in me when I didn't believe in myself and thrust me on stage. And I mean, truly, I, you and I probably wouldn't even be speaking right now if it wasn't for him. So Mm -hmm. there's, there's someone who is a pivotal force, but also, you know, pretty prominent, right? Mm. But then sometimes it's, it's people or things. I mean, Sometimes it's people who don't even realize they even did anything for you, or right. it's people that do the littlest thing. So, for example, another one that I, mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I will never forget, a guy named Paul Stengel, who is uh, a friend of a friend. Okay, so Paul is such a great example of how a small act can ripple on forever. You know, I didn't know Paul very well at the time. 
I'd only been living in San Francisco about six months. I worked with his roommate, Ryan. You know, we'd probably drank a few beers together in the same room. We certainly shared a few conversations, and I thought he was a good guy. But I don't know if I would have said we were friends. And yet, in January 1997, I'd lost my job. My grandfather just died. I was living in a city where I barely knew anyone, and I was wondering if maybe I might end up retreating back home. And I had this thought that maybe I could be a bartender, you know, because when I was a kid, I saw the movie Cocktail, and I thought it seemed pretty cool. Are you ready for the big-time young Mr. Flanagan? I think I can handle it. So I asked Paul about it, because he was a bartender, and he was like, oh yeah, that's a great idea, and he suggested I take a bartending course. It was a couple of days, you learn how to make all the different drinks, and he said that if I took the course, he would talk to his boss and see if he could get me a few lunch shifts to get me started, and I thought, well, that sounds great, and I asked him how much the course was, and he said $300. And so I told him, okay, cool, I just gotta, you know, make some money first, and then I'm gonna do it, and at that point, he offered to lend it to me. And I remember being blown away, because $300 to me in that moment, it might have well have been $3,000. And, and here he was offering it to me. I mean, someone he barely knew and telling me he'd help me get a job as well. And so to summarize the rest of the story, I accepted his kind offer. I took the course, he got me a few lunch shifts, I worked those and I kept checking the job boards. And within a matter of weeks, I found an opening at a bar in the financial district for a happy hour bartender. They called Paul's work where I'd only been for like maybe two weeks. His manager was great enough to give me a recommendation. I got that job, Barcelona restaurant in San Francisco. I ran their happy hour, we built it up. And it was at that happy hour where I eventually befriended a customer. He got to know me, he felt I had great people skills and he invited me to join his sales team for his startup. That led to me going from being a struggling bartender to making six figures a year within a year. We grew that company from nothing to close to $10 million a year in sales, which eventually led me into my career as a trainer, a speaker, a consultant, which brought me right here talking to you and that entire chain of events, that trajectory of my life does not happen without Paul Stangl lending me that $300 and getting me that job. Now, I don't know about all you listening, but I find this reality wondrous and amazing. I mean, a simple act of kindness that creates a ripple on an infinite glass lake never stopping. And just as in that lake, as the ripple goes, it grows. You know, the impact of that small little act gets bigger and bigger and bigger, partly because as we grow, it compounds, but also because of the people that we touch in our lives and all the people they touch and all the people they impact and so on and so on and so on. And it starts to sound like an 80s shampoo commercial. You'll tell two friends, and they'll tell two friends, now you got it, and so on, and so on, and so on. Fabergé Organic Shampoo and Conditioner with pure wheat germ oil and honey. I mentioned earlier that my high school drama teacher was a pivotal force for me, and <laughs> Dave Powers was definitely that, a force. You know, we remain good friends to this day, and while I was putting this episode together, I decided to give him a call. Now, I've told him many times what a huge impact he's had on my life, but I ended up sharing a little bit of what I really felt back then. But you, you know, you had a really, really strong effect on me. And I'm sure the way that I remember it is maybe different than the way you remember it, but certainly because I was inside my own head. I mean, for me, the way that I remember that experience in high school was that I, you know, wanted to to be an actor and really more than that it wasn't it, it was that I wanted to be a performer it's that I wanted to express myself I wanted to like and but I was simultaneously you know scared out of my mind of rejection and scared that 
I wouldn't be good enough or, you know, or even like that idea that I'm sure most actors go through of like, well, I don't want to audition because I'd rather not, not get the no and rather just not know. And I always felt like, I'm sure I earned it, but I always felt like you, you know, especially giving me the lead in Little Shop, I just always felt like you kind of put, like thrust me through that barrier. Like there was this moment where I was just scared and, and then you gave me an opportunity where it was like, well, here you go. <laughs> and, and, you know, through that opportunity, I got validated, right? Because then I got to do this great show and people liked it. And then I became Sally Field and I'm like, oh my God, you really like me. But that, that, that was enough to break me through and to make me feel like, oh, okay. Like I, it gave me a, a certain level of confidence and it gave me a certain level of, I think, willingness to be myself. I asked Dave how aware he was of the impact he was making while he was teaching. He shared a story with me from early in his career, and it's kind of cool how similar this student's experience was to mine. And one of the experiences I had way back when, and this taught me a, a really valuable lesson, I hate to be vaguely serious here, we did a production of Patience by Gilbert and Sullivan, and there's one of the kids in it, and I really, really wanted to get in because he was kind of shy, a little lacking confidence. So I wrote a, a non-singing role for him called The Man in Black. But anyway, I, we, we figured out he was a great, bright, wonderful kid, and we figured all sorts of fun things he would do, and then he was playing it like a, basically like Charlie Chaplin running through the play. And so every night he had to enter towards the end of the overture, and he said he couldn't remember what the musical cue was, so I'd stand right behind him in the wings, and then it was the cue, I'd pat him on the shoulder and give him a little push on stage. So when the show was all finished and forgotten about, I got a lovely note from him. Where he'd drawn a caricature of himself, a very good sketch. And he said, thank you very much for helping me not be afraid. And why that was valuable to me was for two reasons. I think the one that it showed that, yeah, you can do something. And two, you're never really going to know exactly what you do. You're never going to know the effect you have. And I found um, when I hit 75, a lot of kids were talking to me. And kids were thanking me for stuff I did for them. I didn't, I didn't know what. I just, I didn't do that. And um, a lot of it is, you know, it's just, I don't know, you let them be themselves, you poke and prod them. One of the guys said, uh, I would never have become a professional actor if powers hadn't convinced me it was tricky, it was difficult, but I should do it. Not that I should do it, but it was, it was going to be rough, but I should do it. And that's the key difference. For me, people like Dave Powers speak to how important great teachers are. You know, their impact stays with us for life. And they speak to what's possible when we let ourselves care for others, as we discussed through Mayoroff's work earlier. Now, I just want to bring this back to Stuart Scott for a minute, because there was one more beautiful moment I want to share from that Gus Ramsey conversation, where he speaks to the pivotal force that Stuart was in his life. Here he is sharing a message he sent to Stuart in his final months. Um, and I just said, hey, I'm, I'm coming up on my 20th anniversary, and I wanted to thank you for everything you did for me to get me there. And we did in Orlando, you know, and even if he, he never replied, but I just hope that he saw it. And then he knows the value um, that he added to my life and the significance he had and you know, me being allowed to live the life that I have now.
What about you? Who's the first person that comes to mind if I were to ask who was a pivotal force in your life? Now, I'm sure for many of you, people have been coming to mind during this segment. What I thought would be really cool is for all of us to share these people's impact with the world. And so I'm going to ask you to hit social media and do that. Okay, it can be short messages, videos, pictures, stories, all of the above. And we are going to link a hashtag to all of these so they'll be easy to find. Hashtag Pivotal Forces. So whether it's on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, or anything else, add that hashtag, hashtag Pivotal Forces. That way, if any of us want to get a shot in the arm on how awesome people in this world are, we can just search that hashtag and take it all in. Now look, I don't have any fantasies of this going crazy viral, though it would be cool to see an onslaught of gratitude on social media, but I am going to say that I think this is a chance for all of us to be nice and be there. And I think this for two reasons. One, it's nice to hear, you know, people who truly care don't do it for the acknowledgement, but that doesn't mean it's not nice to hear. You know, as I say, the world can be a tough place. So a message from someone saying, hey, you made a difference in my life, that can really fill someone's tank, maybe when they need it most. And two, because maybe by sharing these stories of people in our lives, it will encourage others to realize that we are all in this together. Maybe one person, will be a little nicer tomorrow. Maybe another will choose to slow down and help someone out. So, hashtag pivotal forces, okay? Again, videos, messages, pictures, stories. Let's spread some goodness and gratitude out there. Okay, so this is the part where normally Nick would bring in some emotive music and I do my best to really bring all this home. And, and so sure, I could talk about how we're all connected, how our actions affect everyone. I could go on about the contribution we make and how we can be the change. But at this point, can we just be nice to each other? It's not that hard. Where There's Smoke is produced and edited by Nick Jaworski and written and hosted by me, Brett Gaida. If you want to talk to Nick about making your podcast sound awesome, find him at podcastmonster.com. And if you want to talk to me about speaking at your company or event, emceeing an event, or creating custom ways to help educate and inspire your business, reach out to me through our website at wherethersmoke.co or email me at connect at wherethersmoke.co. This week, I'd like to read a couple of fantastic reviews from iTunes. It's like Christmas every time we get one of these, so thank you to everyone who takes the time to write them. The first one is from Pyro5021, and they wrote, I thought I would listen to episode one, which ended up being me listening to all nine episodes before lunch. I am subscribed and can't wait to hear more. Thanks. Now that sounds like a pretty good morning. Secondly, from This Is Not Your Mom, maybe one of the best iTunes names I've ever seen. From the first episode, I was hooked. The topics, the production quality, and the length makes this my favorite podcast. I've steamrolled through the first eight episodes like a season of Walking Dead. In a short amount of time, I've become more self-aware of my actions and the way I am being perceived. This podcast has already brought me back to life. Where do we go from here? Don't worry, this is not your mom. We've got lots of destinations to come. Last week, Where There's Smoke hit a great milestone, 10,000 downloads in our first five weeks. And we want to thank each of you for listening and spreading the word. This is how it happens, just like that shampoo commercial said. You'll tell two friends, and they'll tell two friends. Now you got it. And so on, and so on, and so on.
on. We promise to keep working our butts off here if you promise to keep listening your ears off there or something like that. On that note, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or your podcatcher of choice so you never miss an episode. And yes, podcatcher is a word. Who knew? Speaking of not missing a thing, subscribe to our mailing list to receive cool messages from time to time. You can do this on our site at wherethersmoke.co or by texting the word SMOKE to 66866 on your phone right now. And speaking of our website, while you're there, leave us a voicemail, feedback, comments, a question. You can also link to the show notes that include info and links for all the clips we use in each episode. You're wondering where a clip is from? No problem. You can find out in the show notes. Where There's Smoke's theme song was written and performed by Desmond Kinney, additional music by Kevin McLeod. And now it is time for tonight's top 10, aka Plays of the Week. Well, actually, it's more like a top few or clips of the week, but either way, this week the honor goes to Nick's super duper great find of ABC's late 80s Saturday morning bumpers. After these messages, we'll be right back. They kind of warm your heart, don't they? And we are going to end the show with our man Stuart Scott doing his thing as cool as the other side of the pillow, straight butter, Golden State poetry. Nor just five of seventeen, but one dream play was so funky. Curry on purpose off the board with the pass. Andrew Bogut the dunk. Yeah, <laughs> go ahead, laugh. Part of a thirty to five Warriors run. Steph wasn't done. Shooting from distance, not working so much. Young fella, drive, twist, serious touch. You know, Golden State, though, isn't no That is it. You ain't got to go home, but you got to get the heck out of here. We appreciate you, and we will see you next week.